Well, good morning. We're the Stevens family. I'm Jeremy, Kylie, Jace, and Melanie. We're going to do the scripture reading today. He's starting. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And when someone came and told them, Look, and the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. God, I come to you. I thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for what you've given us and your son to die for us. I thank you for everyone that's been baptized today, and I want to pray that Justin comes up, and we just want to thank him for doing all this. I want to, for us to have a good day and a good day tomorrow. In your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. <clears throat> Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, we will be continuing. Uh, and so last time we did baptism, our uh, water heater did not work. Uh, and it was super, super cold in there. So we, we worked on a ghetto fix this week. And let me tell you, it worked today. Uh, I think it was a hot tub temp in there. Uh, and so I don't know if you saw, like, during when they were reading up here, I had, that wasn't bap, bap, baptistry water. That was sweat coming down my face. I think my blood, uh, I mean, my heart rate's still 135 right now. It's not because I'm nervous. Uh, I think I need one of them preaching rag towels right now. Uh, Anyway, Acts chapter 5, if you haven't uh, been with us, uh, if you're a guest, I know we have a lot of guests this morning because of, because of baptism, I just want to say thank you uh, for being here. My name is Justin, I'm one of the, one of the pastors here at Crosspoint, and as a, as a church back uh, sometime last fall, I think September, uh, we started going through the book of Acts, and so uh, we're just now in chapter 5, we're, we're just kind of walking through it slowly, we took a break for uh, about a month and a half or so, uh, but anyway, we're in Acts chapter 5, uh, I want to jump right in, uh, knowing uh, just where we are in time and things like that, but as a way of introduction, so last week, 
We were in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, and, and it's one of what, what is known as a summary passage. And so what happens through the book of Acts is like Luke writes, uh, and he writes like these specific stories, like the healing of a lame man or the, the apostles being arrested. And all of a sudden he'll zoom out to 30,000 foot again and just give a summary statement. Like we see it at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see it at the end of chapter 4. Uh, and then we also see it right here in chapter 5. And, and what we saw last week in this summary statement is that instead of the Sanhedrin's attempt to silence the church, uh, instead of the religious leaders' attempt to, to make the church quit preaching in the name of Jesus, uh, instead of that being successful, the actual uh, the, uh, the contrary to that was true, is that actually that their, their fame or their, uh, the knowledge of what they were doing was actually spreading now outside of Jerusalem. Uh, up until this point, we've only been really concentrated in Jerusalem, but now, uh, actually, Paul said, or Peter, or Luke, somebody wrote it, Paul, Peter, or Luke, you mentioned them, throw in John, you're, you're just about right. But anyway, so Luke writes that now that, that it was a regular thing for the apostles to go to Solomon's portico and, and perform signs and wonders, and it was so popular that not only were the people of Jerusalem coming, but the town, the people outside of Jerusalem, the towns outside of Jerusalem were now bringing their, 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 their sick and their possessed to the apostles for them to be healed. So you could imagine the buzz that was going on uh, in the town, but also in the Sanhedrin. Right inside the, the religious leaders, the people who were trying to get the church to stop. You could imagine. And what we looked at last week is that this gospel ministry, what it does is it encourages, encourages the poor in spirit. We saw last week that the broken would come and the gospel was there and it encouraged them. What we see this week is that same gospel message enrages the prideful is that you have the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, this, this buzz is going on, this buzz is taking place, and, uh, and it's pretty crazy, and think, people are coming in, and we see one group of people who, who are excited about it, then you see the prideful people, and they become enraged about what's going on. That's what we see in verse 17, whenever it says, but, in contrast to this is what was going on. Instead, on one side, you have people who were flocking to the church, couldn't wait to get their people to the church. But on the other side, there's another group of people that didn't like what was going on. So we'll see that the gospel enrages the prideful, uh, intellectual pride. People who, who come to the gospel and intellect and things like that, the, the, it, the, it, what it does is that it enrages their pride because the gospel is too simple to believe. Or the, uh, the social pride, like uh, those who have pride in my status in society, the gospel enrages that, if you will, uh, to become uh, the least of these, to, to, to do things without people seeing. It's, it's contrary to the human nature, the, uh, even sometimes family pride. But anyway, there's this, there's this buzz that's going around. And what we'll see in the text this morning that Jason Colley read is that there were really two groups of people. This morning, I'm going to try, try to be uh, application-heavy, applicable, if you will. There were two groups of people, ultimately. On one side, you had a group of people who feared God and not man. And the other side, you had people who, who feared man but not God. You had the apostles in the church. Well, let's categorize them as people, as people who feared God and not man. And on the other side, you had a group of people who feared man but not God. One led to freedom, and the other to bondage. 
One led to power, the other led to weakness. One led to effectiveness, and one led to uselessness. One fear led to hope, and the other fear led to despair. One fear led to honor, and the other left to humiliation. In the passage, it says, but... In context, or in the contrary to what's going on, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. Let me remind you about the Sadducees real quick. It's been a couple weeks since we talked about the Sadducees, but there are things that I need to remind us of, or if you're not familiar with, to teach you about the Sadducees, because there's a lot of irony in this text that Jason Kiley just read for us. Now, the Sadducees were one of the religious, really, I would call them more politicians than they were actually religious people. Uh, they were about keeping Rome happy and the Jews happy, kind of maintaining status quo. As long as nothing crazy happens, I, I maintain my power and my authority. But they had some uh, crazy teachings. And one of the things is they didn't believe in miracles like the resurrection. And so uh, what here's... The apostles coming and preaching about this Jesus who was resurrected. Well, you have the Sadducees who have been teaching people inside the temple that there is no such thing as a resurrection. Now you have the apostles inside that same temple teaching that there is a resurrection, that Christ has been resurrected. The second thing that I want to make mention about one of the Sadducees' belief systems is that they didn't believe in the existence of angels. And I don't know if you caught when Jason kind of reading that who was it that freed the apostles? from the jail, an angel. So yeah, I need you to catch the irony of what's going on here. So they didn't believe in the existence of angels. As a matter of fact, they would consider a man foolish to think, and this is their own power, that God would appoint an angel to be his representative or his mouthpiece. Why? Because they, they would say, I'm, we're the mouthpiece. God doesn't need an angel. You listen to me. So any man that would believe in angels is foolish. Like I said, they worked to keep the Romans and Jews happy. Proverbs 29, 25 says this. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And that's exactly what we will see exemplified in this passage as we walk through it this morning. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you some big take-home points if you're taking notes. And before we even jump into the text, number one, uh, when, when men forbid what God has commanded or command what God has forbidden, we have but one option. We must obey God rather than man. What you see here, you, if you back up to Acts chapter 4, I would remind you that these same people, the Sanhedrin and the, 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 the Sadducees were part of the Sanhedrin. Remember, they had told Peter and John, you cannot do this anymore. And Peter said, we can't help but to speak of the things we've seen and heard. What we see is there's this actually civil disobedience that's happening. So, so Justin, how far does my obedience to the government or my obedience to the law of man, how far does it extend? The answer is this, is that when man or when men forbid what God has commanded or command what God has forbidden, that's whenever we say, no, my trust, I must obey God rather than man. We see that in this text. The second big truth that we'll see in this text is that all authority belongs to God. That all authority belongs to God. And third, which is like the first one, is when earthly power and heavenly power are in conflict, our allegiance is to God. Everybody with me so far? 
All right, let's talk about the fear of God and the fear of man. The first taking notes, number one, is that freedom, there's freedom in fearing God, not man. We see that in verses 17 through 21. Uh, I'll read it again. It says, But the high priest, they rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Scripture says in verse 17 that they were filled with jealousy. And actually, in the Greek here, it's actually the same word that we get our word zeal, like passion, like they were, they were caught up with, they were infuriated, they were, they, like, they were consumed with, ultimately, now stopping these people called the Christians. That when they saw this buzz, when they saw this, this popularity of the church going on, that these religious leaders, that they were filled with jealousy. They were frustrated because their authority was being challenged. Their authority, their teachings, everything that they held on to was being challenged by this group of people. Their popularity was being challenged. And what they'll come to understand in this passage is that they were ultimately fighting against the very purpose for the existence of the universe. And that's the, that is the exaltation of Jesus. That these guys in their little small world, they were actually conspiring against the very reason why this universe exists in the first place. It says that they, when they heard of this, that they were filled with jealousy. Just a side note. I wrote in my notes, beware of jealousy because it leads to all types of sins. What's the motive for them wanting to arrest these, the church? Because they were jealous. They were jealous of popularity. They were jealous of what was going on. Now let's think about it. What harm were the apostles doing? Like in, 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 in any society, who wouldn't want people who love people? Who wouldn't want people that could heal people? And include people? And go to the, the social fringes and, and accept people. Who wouldn't want that group of people in their culture? They were doing nothing that I would go, hey, you're a, you know, you're a nemesis to our culture and our society. We want you out here. What were they doing? They were literally just helping people. What we see out of these religious leaders is they would rather people remain sick and possessed than lose their power. Or the lack of the power that they had become more evident. And so it says that they were filled with jealousy, so they moved. Verse 18 it says they arrested the apostles. Here it's not just Peter and John, but all 12 of the apostles have now been arrested. Why? Because this jealousy that was in their heart. Now they, this word zeal is like they, they have set up in their mind to stop this thing. We're not being passive anymore like we were in chapter 4. We're going to stop this thing. And so what they do is they go and they, they arrest not just Peter and John, but all of the apostles. And check out what they did and put them in public prison. And this is very strategic for them. Why would they put them? Here's this group of people. You really want, you really want to mess somebody's popularity up? Arrest them and put their, pay, put their face on the uh, front of the newspaper. If somebody's really getting a drawing and people are following them, 
Let's, put, let's, let's really embarrass them here. And so what, what they were doing is they didn't put them in a secret place. They now put all 12 in a public jail. Why? To, 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 so people could see them being arrested and hopefully maybe dishonor them. Or maybe they could say, you know what, maybe these guys shouldn't be followed. So what they decided to do was to put them in public prison, listen to me, to humiliate the apostles. I need you to catch that. Because what... <laughs> What in turn they thought would humiliate the apostles ended up humiliating them. I need you to follow me when I'm saying that. So they, they said, let's put them in public prison. And, and so what we see in verse 19 is that God's plan would not be spoiled. So they, they get jealous. They arrest them, put them in public prison to humiliate them. And then what we see in verse 19, but there's another contrast, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. This public arrest would come back to haunt the Sadducees. This public arrest would come back to haunt them. What they intended to humiliate the apostles would actually humiliate them. Why? Remember this, the Sadducees taught that there were no such thing as angels, and one would be a fool to believe in a spiritual being. And see the irony in who or what God sent to release the apostles. Who's humiliated now? As one commentator I read, it said, this is like the ultimate cosmic overrule of Jewish leadership as the sovereign Lord acts to free the apostles by sending an angel to open the prison door that the Sadducees themselves shut. Am I the only one that called the, 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 the irony and the depth in that, that, that actually God is like, all right, trump card, mic drop. I'll send, actually, you want to be humiliated? So you teach that Jesus, that there is no resurrection, you teach there are no angels? Well, I'll send an angel to actually release these guys. So we see this freedom. It says that the Lord accomplishes his purpose again and again. Listen to me, child of God. What we see just in these first few verses is that God will accomplish his purposes again and again. No matter who conspires against, no matter who tries to shut up or shut down or silence, God's purposes will be completed again and again. The apostles in verse 20, the, they says that he, they freed them to go back to the place that they were arrested in to preach, this says, to all the people the words of life. That the apostles were free to go and preach this words of his life is literally saying, or this life is literally saying, go preach the gospel and it's specifically the resur resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So when you go there, ultimately what the angel is saying is when you go back to the place you were arrested, Tell them that an angel, ultimately, that the angel sent you to talk about the resurrection. What would humiliate the Sadducees even more is for them to go, could you imagine that the next day? Hey, we're here because an angel, angel, freed me and he told me to come talk about the resurrection. I catch almost like a sense of humor that we see here. Verse 21, we see that the apostles obeyed the angel's orders. They were more concerned with God's desires than man's desires. And they were free to do the will of God. That their public arrest now becomes their public testimony. Because when they go back, what we see in verse 21 is that they went back at, 
at daybreak, which when they, people weren't allowed to come back in until daybreak, they went as soon as people were allowed back in, and they began to teach. They were freed to do the will of God. Not only were they freed by an angel, but now they're preaching about the resurrection. And here's what I want to encourage you with by this text this morning, is that any plans to overthrow God are futile. Because God's plan is accomplished over and over again. And what we see in this text is that when we live in the fear of God, not man, is that we ultimately find freedom and blessing. That when we're living for the approval of God, that the way that I live, I live my life is dictated by God and I'm living in the fear of God, is that then and then alone we actually find freedom to live. The apostles exemplify what it means to fear God and not man. They were, they were driven by a deep-seated desire to please God and not man. They did what was right in God's eyes regardless of what or who wanted something else, and they experienced a type of freedom that many of us never know or experience. Man, how, how freeing would it be is that if we started living in the, in the fear of God and what he says more than we did the fear of man. Like, what if we actually said, you know what? My God doesn't lose. My God is victorious. His plan is victorious over and over again. Like, what if by chance we actually lived if that was our reality? That we live with boldness in the face of, of, of scrutiny or suffering, or anything else that we actually said, you know what, God, God is God and nobody else is, and he wins and I'm going to live my life as he desires. So we see that the apostles, they didn't, listen to me, they didn't even have to fix their own problem. Everybody, you follow me? Why? It was God who sent an angel. It was God who told them what God even gave them the ammunition to use when they went back to the temple. Like living, living for God, living in the fear of God, not man, which we're going to get to in a minute. It frees us to just live life. To live it with joy. Then I have to worry and be consumed about what tomorrow brings. We understand that we have a heavenly father who delights in giving us the kingdom. That he clothes the flowers of the fields and feeds the birds of the air. They neither soil nor, nor t- uh, tarry or anything for them to provide for themselves. No, their heavenly father provides it. How much more would he for us? I got to move on. Number one that we see is that there was a freedom in living in the fear of God, not man. But number two is we see there's a bondage in living in the fear of man, not God. There's a bondage living in the fear of man, not God. We see that in 21b through 26 whenever it says, uh, so catch this. This happens in the Sanhedrin or the Sadducees. They don't have a clue. So morning comes, they show back up to their precincts, ready to just get their day started. So they, they get together. I've never, you know, I don't know. I've never been in one of these meetings, but they get together and there's a list of things they have to do, right? So it's just a normal Monday morning at the office for them. 
They show up, they gather together, they begin to walk through what they're walking, you have to talk about. And very first thing he says, all right, somebody go get the prisoners. We got to take care of this real quick. It's going to be quick. It's going to be swift. Uh, and there's not going to be a lot to it. And so they send and what happens, they find them that they're not there. So they come back and report it. And hey, they're not here. Well, what happened? Well, they're actually inside the temple speaking. The leaders sent to bring the apostles but they couldn't find them. They had no idea what happened to them the night before. Matter of fact, Luke writes that the, the, the gate was securely, or the, the, the door was securely locked, and no one inside. Here the Sanhedrin, or the Sadducees, were planning a swift trial, but they couldn't find those who were on trial. They were greatly perplexed, we read. Uh, what is it in verse uh, 24, now when the captain of the temple, the chief priest, heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what was this, uh, what this would come to, say so that you see them, that they're, they're baffled about what was going on. Little did they know that, the, that God had already sent them out. To, and so they go and they find them. And check out this in verse 26. This is where I got the bondage of living in the fear of men. Verse 26 says, the captain with the officers, went and brought them, but not by force. What was their motivating factor? Look at the end of verse 26. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So in one area, you've got these men in this church that live in the fear of God and not man, and they will, they live life without any thought. And then you have this other group of people who they want to act a certain way because they were, afa- they were afraid of men. They were, they were fearful that they would lose their power. They were fearful that they would lose their lives. And what we see, I'm, I'm abbreviating all this, that the apostles were actually freer than those outside because these men were enslaved to the fear of man. The apostles feared God and not man. The leaders of Israel feared Man and not God. They feared how their decision was going to be interpreted throughout the community. They feared of, well, if I don't, do, if I don't remain popular, then I'll lose my power. If people don't like us, they will get rid of us. They will re- replace us. If people don't agree with what I'm teaching, then I will lose my influence. What was the motivating? They were jealous, but what we see is that they couldn't care less if God was pleased or not. What they cared about is making sure the people around them were pleased. And what we see throughout Scripture, that's a dangerous place to be. Number three, got to keep moving. In the text, we see there's a freedom in, f- in fearing God, not man. There's a bondage of fearing man, not God. Number three, we see the apostles obeying God in the power of the Spirit. And really, I just want to spend most of my time on verse 32, but we'll walk through them. So the leaders go back and get him. They arrest him gently. They bring him back before the council, just like they did uh, in Acts chapter 4. They're standing in front, or standing in front. In verse 28, we see that they, they say this to him. We, didn't we tell you not to do this anymore? They, they were scolding them. Like, Didn't we tell you better than this? Everybody with me? And so they bring them back in. Didn't we tell you? And check out this. They can't even say Jesus' name. They said, we, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. 
Before, it was not to teach in the name of Jesus, but now they can't even say Jesus' name because they're, I don't know, they're fearful. They don't understand their, their power is literally falling out from under their, their fingertips. Like, I don't know if they're really grasping like, actually, I think we, we do because we'll see Gamaliel next week actually say something like this. Listen to me. We need to leave these guys alone because if this thing's from man, it's going to burn out. But if this thing's from God, there's nothing we can do to overthrow it. So I think within the, the religious leaders, they're actually, they're actually seeing, oh, man, I'm, we're, losing, we're, losing, we're losing our foothold here. So they're fighting their most to, to keep it. And so he says, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Indictment number one, you've disobeyed, you've, you've filled Jerusalem with this teaching. And then he says, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. You intend to say that we're the ones guilty for doing this. Now, let's try to put ourselves in the apostles' shoes real quick. You're standing before the most powerful people in Israel. Everybody with me? Literally, your life hangs in the balance of the decision that they make. Say, Justin, they didn't have any legal ramifications to kill these people, but they would have found one. They did it with a guy named Jesus. But anyway, so now go back to these apostles. They've been warned not to do this anymore. And if they didn't stop, then there would be consequences. All right, break, they send them out. What do they do? They go to their own in chapter 4. They pray together, pray for boldness. We get to chapter 5, we see some church discipline, and then we'll see them back in the community. Now, just a chapter later, they're back before these same people who said, if you do this again, there will be consequences. And then they said this, and here's the things that you keep doing. You keep talking about this Jesus guy. You're filling all of Jerusalem with it, and you're indicting us for his murder. If you're living in the fear of man at that point, you're going to back down. Because the way that you answered that may determine if you walk out of that room or not. But if you're living in the fear of God, we see that you're empowered by the Spirit of God. So check out what Peter says, and the apostle said. Again, he says in verse 29, we must obey God rather than man. You forbidden something that God commanded, I choose Obey God. That's what he's saying here. And so how is he going to respond to your teaching in this name and you're putting his, blood, his murder on our, our, his blood on our hands? So this is what Peter says. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, check this out, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. Peter, that wasn't, that's probably not going to be good for you. You, you could have you said anything else, but you said no. Yes, you are right. His blood is on your hands. You hung him to a tree, matter of fact. Peter, you got to watch your mouth. Verse 31. God, though, you killed him, but God exalted him at his right hand. The same Jesus whom you killed, God raised and he seated him. And guess what? Now he's the judge of the living and the dead. So when he was here, you judged him and put him on a cross. But newsflash for you, his father raised him and set him on a throne, and now he's your judge. And it's not real good because you're the one that hung him to a tree. You can get the, the magnitude of this moment. But he, he's not done there yet. 
as leader and savior, this is the, really the same terminology that we see in Acts chapter 3 whenever he, he, he says that Jesus was the author of life and the, the holy and righteous one. What he's saying is, is that Jesus is the leader. He's the author. He's the institutor. He's the, the one who, who, who came up with it. He's the one that started it. So he says that the same Jesus, he exalted him at his right hand. He made him leader and savior. And here's his function. Check this out. To give repentance. Notice that repentance is a gift from this Jesus. I'm not going to dive into that too deep because I'm already at 1120. But he gives repentance to who? To Israel and forgiveness of sins. So here's, here's what's incredible. We told you not to speak about this name. We told you to stop putting his blood on our hands. Peter then responds, yes, you did kill him. He's, he's up in heaven, but here's the good news for even you, Sanhedrin, is that he's there so that he could even give you repentance, that he could give you forgiveness of sins. Hey, if, you, if you're in this room and you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm outside grace, like, I've done too much for grace to save me. Did you physically hang Jesus to a tree? I would say nobody in here could say, yes, I did. What we see in this text is that the very people that made the decision to send Jesus to the cross are the same people that Peter is now saying, this same Jesus will give you repentance and forgiveness of sins. So nobody sitting in this room is beyond grace. Let me say that again. Nobody sitting in a seat in this room or listening to me online is beyond grace because Peter could stand between these guys or beside these guys who were literally working against the existence or the purpose for the existence of the universe, literally working against the plan of God. And Peter reminds them, listen to me, Jesus has been exalted so that you can repent, so that you can find forgiveness of sins. That's what you call obedience in the power of the Spirit. That's what you call living in the fear of God, not man. But here's the verse that I wanted to get to. This is awesome. Verse 32. It says, and we are witnesses to these things, right? We understand that. We've, we've heard him say that multiple times. We cannot, speak, we cannot help but to speak about the things we've seen and heard, Right? We've witnessed those things. So he says, and we are witnesses of these things, but check out this, and so is the Holy Spirit. So we're witnesses, but who else is the witness of these things? The Holy Spirit is the witness of things, and where's the Holy Spirit? Whom God has given to all those who obey him. So check this out. What Peter was saying here is that in salvation, God gives us the Holy Spirit. Everybody with me? All those who obey, God gives them the Spirit. The Spirit by nature gives witness to the Son. Everybody with me? So Peter's now saying, we can't help be a witness because the witness that's inside of me is witnessing about Jesus. So I don't have an option in the matter because the Spirit within me is the one that's doing the witnessing. Am I... Am I the only one that was blown away by that? Peter's like, hey, listen to me. Ultimately, what he's saying is, you're not fighting me, you're fighting God. 
<laughs> your beef isn't with us. Listen to me. You are literally conspiring against the God of the universe right now. The reason we're witnesses is because the Holy Spirit is within us, and he's the one who witnesses about Jesus. I got notes up in here somewhere. I think that's it. Number four, application. What's the application of this? Throughout the scriptures, we see both examples of this fear of man and the fear of God. We see an example about Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you want to read that. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, we read this. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out in the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We see this example in the, in the Gospels here is that there were actually people who believed in Jesus. What it says, they believed in him, but they, 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 because of fear of the Pharisees and a love for the glory that comes from the applause of man, they chose it rather than the glory of God. And we see real biblical examples of people who know about Jesus but operate out of the fear of man. So I'm not talking like outside the walls right here, y'all. I'm talking about if you can hear my voice right now, I'm talking to us. That there are people who actually know Jesus, but their life is stunted. Their hope, their peace, their joy, the goodness of walking with Jesus is quenched because they care too much about what man says about them versus what God has called them to do. Jesus was the exact opposite of that. Look what Matthew writes about him in 22:16. It says, they sent their disciples to him along with Herodian saying, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God faithful. Listen to this, for you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. So we're back to square one. There's a group of people who live in the fear of God, not man. There's a group of people who live in the fear of man, not God. One finds freedom. One has hope. One has effectiveness. One has usefulness. While the other one is left grasping for straws. One is, keeps building their house upon the sand. One keeps trying to put band-aids on cancer, if you will. So are we swayed by appearances or opinions? Right, like right now, Christian. And so if you, if you say, Justin, yes, I'm a Christian, what determines what you do? Do you act based on what you perceive will make others like you? Or do you act based on what God has said? In your life, do you need the approval of man? Another way to ask it is, what or who controls you? And here's the take home. Here's the truth. If the opinions of people drive our, notice I put our here. If the opinions of people drive our behavior, we will never consistently obey God. 
Real talk. Again, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare. <laughs> what do we see with these, the Sanhedrin? Every time they act, it's a snare. We're going to put them in a public jail. Well, God's going to send an angel and release them. It's a snare. But for those who put their trust in the Lord, where were they? They're safe. Safe doesn't always mean like you don't go through the ringer. You may get put in jail. You may get a terrible call from the doctor. Your life may hit rock bottom. But even there, it's safe and it's secure. Your feet is upon a rock. I think I had a... What's the next one there, bud? So what is it? Live in the freedom of serving God. Child of God, man, I wish I had the time to tell you what God thinks about you and says about you, those who are his. But I'll tell you this to you. You are very precious to him because you have been purchased by the blood of his son. And if God says you're redeemed, if God says you're chosen, that you're a part of the beloved, if you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, if God says that you're more than a conqueror in Christ, if God says you have purpose, identity, God says you have a meaning and a reason, who cares what anybody else says? If God has called, listen, not as you said, but if God has called you to do something, to go somewhere and do something, if God has called you to make disciples, which he has, any other assignment comes secondary to those things. Are you with me? So Justin, that's a little, it's come secondary. Why? Because he, <laughs> the one who created something, has the authority to label something. He created you, then he recreated you, so he's the one who gets to put a label on you. And he says that you're a son and a daughter. Live in that reality, child of God. There is much boldness, there is much life to be lived on the other side when we walk over to walking in the fear of the Lord versus walking in the fear of man. And it's, it's a weird dynamic. I promise I'm about to be done. It's a weird dynamic. There's this paradox of the Christian life. You know, we're free in Christ, but Scripture also says that we've become slaves to Christ. So there's this paradox of things that, you know, that go on. And, and here's what I've come to understand is that it's only in becoming a slave to Jesus, which means living in the fear of God, that we actually find freedom in the first place. It's a paradox that the only way that I find the reason why I exist and I'm here is whenever I surrender my life to Jesus and he's the Lord. That's whenever I actually find the meaning and purpose of life. It's whenever we become slaves to the world that we, we get chains put on us, if you will. So child of God, how do, how do I walk in the fear of the Lord? Easy. It's not easy, but it is easy. It's both of those things. It's a paradox of the Christian life is that you have the Holy Spirit within you and he will never lead you the wrong way. Just to know I need something. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you and he will never lead you wrong. 
obey him. Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not promise, gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the spirit within you. He's in there. He's bearing witness according to Peter. Walk by the spirit. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to pray. After that, Ryan's going to close up. I'm gonna, we're not going to do the last song. So, I'm going to pray for us. Child of God, be free. Be free to live for God and walk away from the fear of man. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for the work that you've been doing here. At Crosspoint, God, I thank you for those who followed you in baptism this morning. God, I just pray that you bless them. God, that you would uh, just surround them with people who will encourage them. God, if there's anyone in here today who hasn't followed you in baptism, God, I pray that you will draw them. God, that you will lead them. God, if there's anyone in here who hasn't trusted in you, God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit will draw them. God, I pray that you embolden us, encourage us, send the wind of your Holy Spirit within us to live for your glory, not out of the fear of man. So in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Awesome. Hey, thanks so much for being here at Crosspoint. Uh, family, uh, what a good day we had today, and we're excited to see what God's going to uh, do uh, here at Crosspoint. I uh, just want to just remind you, um, Easter, uh, three things. Uh, on Good Friday, the Easter egg hunt uh, for the children will be at 3 p.m. Uh, then we will have a Good Friday Lord's Supper service at 6 p.m., uh, and then on Easter Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we will have service outside. So uh, we're excited about uh, our Easter weekend coming up. Hey, we hope you have a great afternoon and a great week, and we'll see you back next Sunday.